Resistance to change can be one of the most significant barriers that Lean, Six Sigma, and Contrista Prumit come up against. The law of resistance to change could very well be the most challenging part of our path as we navigate along our contrast improvement journey. A statement that we have all heard ourselves, or maybe we've said, is people do not like change or people fear change. I used to believe this statement, but as I've matured a little over the years as a student of lean and contrast improvement, I've come to know that for myself, this statement is utterly false, misleading, and inflicts a negative influence on people so that they won't change, similar to an evil witch casting a spell on someone. I have taken another mindset or another perspective that most people welcome change. My reasoning for believing people do in fact change is, if the, if the statement people don't like change or people fear change were true, we would all be living in our parents' basement with no job, having no marriage or partner or no kids, no college degree, no organizational improvements, no innovations, and we would all, I guess, still be using horse and wagons. What actually is true is that people and organizations will change when their reasoning and resulting outcome or benefit of the change outweigh their current state of being. Just like someone who desires to do or accomplish something in life, let's say someone wants to lose weight. We all know overeating is harmful to you, that it causes pain and disease as we continue down the path, causing our condition to progressively get worse. We also know, on the other hand, that eating healthy and exercising is good for you, but we don't invest a lifestyle of healthy eating habits and exercise, do we? It is because our reasoning and the resulting outcome or benefit of that change have yet to outweigh our current state of being. Yes, change may seem hard, but living with pain, disease, or diabetes is, is, high, is hard as well. So, we have to choose our hard. The question I'd like for you to ponder is, what hard changes in your life have brought the most success or happiness Maybe it's when you got married or had kids or continually have excelled in your career that has made you financially independent. For me, one of the most significant hard choices in my life was trying to complete my manufacturing engineering degree. For me, one of the most significant hard choices in my life was trying to complete my manufacturing engineering degree. I was first wanting to become a mechanical engineer, but... I was struggling so much on my exams, so my GPA was dropped enough that my academic counselor pulled me into her office and told me, I guess a backstory to this is that my assigned counselor had military background, so what she said to me was probably justified in my condition, and basically what she, basically what she said to me was I was a horrible engineering student and should switch my degree. But I really wanted to become an engineer, and so in my mind, I basically said, Well, lady, I'm going to prove you wrong. Later, as the stars aligned, I actually figured out what I needed to do to prove her wrong. I ended up changing degrees and ended up transferring to another school and went into manufacturing engineering. So now, circling back around to the hard choices at this point in my life, 
that last six months of school was brutal. I had two kids at the time, was working a part-time job an hour away from where I lived. I was greatly involved with my church leading out weekly youth activities. On top of hours and hours of homework I had to do each day, I was getting four to five hours of sleep each night, trying to get all my homework and team projects done for school. Since I was not getting a lot of sleep, I was also getting sick a lot with colds and sinus infections. I was also having people ask me, are you okay? You don't look good. Uh, well, it was true. I did not look good and I was struggling to survive. I knew that it was a hard point at that, my, that point in my life, but however, I knew that an engineering degree would be something that would provide a healthy and stable income for my family, which it has. Even though I'm not the smartest person, it took me six and a half years to become an engineer. However, I'm grateful for all the hard, in my, hard times in my life because those defining moments have brought me a lot of success and happiness. And, but it all starts with a commitment to change when our reasoning and the resulting outcome or benefit of that change outweighs our current state of being. Going back to the statement, people fear change, this is a loaded statement with many emotions attached to it. So I will spend a little time unpacking it in depth to discuss what fear is and what change is. We'll then apply what we learn about fear and change into how we as change agents can help navigate change for organizations who want to continuously improve, but maybe still holding on tightly onto classical management styles of thinking. These situations are something that the Lean and Six Sigma community and really all of us probably struggle with the most. Being in this type of situation where the leaders of your organization or company may be embracing a classical management style of leading it is a real thing. And so a continuous improvement of thought of how we approach these types of situations is something that I feel is greatly lacking in the Lean and Six Sigma community. Because we can all talk until we're blue in the face about Toyota's success and about how we can become lean like them. Yes, these stories are nice and flowery and have hypnotized many people and organizations' interest over the past 30 to 40 years. However, this type of approach is no longer getting us where we need to go. The second thought that I will be discussing is how can we navigate through the influential and dominant power of classical management that controls most of our organizations? I've always felt that many of us have tools and experiences that will help the entire continuous improvement community as we rally together and work towards finding new ways to effectively implement continuous improvement. However, the Lean and Six Sigma and continuous improvement industries also need to recognize the reality of our situation and improve our approach instead of the 1980s and 1990s mentality when Lean and Six Sigma came onto the stage with many that are still preaching and fascinated with this today. Lean and Contrarian Improvement is fascinating to me, which is why I will always be a student of Lean and Contrarian Improvement. However, 
finding new ways to continuously improve the lean and continuous improvement industries is an even larger fascination to me for how we can advance past our 1980s and 1990s lean thinking. The third and last thought that I will close with is I will act as an introduction uh, to one of the best tools I know to navigate change is something called motivational interviewing. Motivational interviewing may not be the answer to all of our resistance to change problems. However, it has been one of the most and best tools that I have found so far to use in situations that I've been in. I'll provide an introduction at the close of this show today. And then in our next show, we will talk more in depth about the power of motivational interviewing. For this first section of this show, I'm going to get quite philosophical on this and venture down into a rabbit hole a little bit about the origins of the words of fear and change. When someone gives a talk, I used to roll my eyes in the beginning of their talk when they would say something like, What is change? I looked it up in the dictionary and it said blah 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 blah. However, I recently finished a book that went into depth about the origins of words, or the fancy way of saying origins of words, is etymology. The book I left uh, a great impact on my thinking that the words we say have a powerful influence on ourselves and others more than we can ever imagine. Now, as I get a little philosophical on you for a little bit, stay with me. I think you'll find this explanation of the words of change and fear quite interesting. So, let's do this. Let's break down the statement of people fear change by first asking about the origins of the word change. And as a reference, I researched the origins of words and fear of change from the online etymology dictionary called etymonline.com. Change as a noun or identifying something as a, the act of or fact of changing uh, it is interesting they use the word fact of changing and not just the act of changing. Also, changes to alter, exchange, or to switch. Similarly, change could also mean to exchange, recommence, a form of payment or reciprocation to the form of trading. An example of this in a financial sense is when we buy something with cash. When this occurs, the balance of money is returned after deducting the price of the purchase from the sum paid, or in other words, exchange or receiving change. So we will substitute something or exchange a specific thing for something else. Another interesting thing of change in, is finding variety or novelty. Even more interesting, it could also mean the passing of life to death. Now remember that one We'll get back to it and how it relates to classical management thinking. Now let's move into when change is used as a verb or action. Change as a verb is to alter or make different. Another definition is to make something other than what it was, cause to turn or to pass from one state to another. An example of this is what I've said a few moments before is passing from life to death. Change is to become different or become altered. 
Change also has an interesting origin in some contexts of to barter, to bend, crook, crooked, curve, avoid, or prisoner. Now, crooked or prisoner, now that's interesting, but remember that and we'll get back to that one. A prefix to change is to change the order of, or to change is to alter and then obsolete thereafter. A suffix to change is heir or like changer or elder, with elder being someone who gained experience. Now let's talk about the origin of fear. If not, I've already lost you in the opening of this rabbit hole. Fear is, as a noun or to identify something is calamity, sudden peril, danger, or sudden attack. Fear also could relate to danger, which is the source of the word ambush. Fear is related to harm, distress, or deception. Fear also has a sense of being afraid or the uneasiness or caused by a possible fear of danger. Fear could also be used to like put fear in somebody or to intimidate them or to cause them to cower. Fear as a verb or action is to terrify, frighten, to lie in wait or plot against or to taunt or insult. The suffix of fear is having a phobia or excessive irrational fear, horror or aversion to something or someone. The root word to fear is peer, which is to try, risk, but could also mean forward or lead into or cross or press forward. Peer also forms the root words of gaining experience or experiment or becoming an expert. So to bring the phrase people fear change together, on one hand we have people who fear a sudden danger, attack, aversion, terrify or becoming a prisoner when change occurs because of having to substitute something or exchange a specific thing for something else where after where the change occurs they may become obsolete. On the other hand we have people who are willing to try or take the risk or to act of the change can provide a variety of or novelty and the opportunity to change can became gain experiment or experiment or become altered, or in order to become better. Looks like both fear of change has a yin-yang origin that provides balance and guidance to our and our organization's existence. So let's talk about the yin of the negative or the negative side of fear and resistance to change in our yin-yang example by applying the etymology to classical management. In today's terms, well, when our leaders of organizations are confronted with change, unconsciously or consciously, it can be perceived as a potential threat to their identity, which could also cause the leaders to feel that they will become irrelevant as they start to doubt their value or relevancy to the organization. Therefore, change is threatening to organizational leaders which is one of the examples of why people feel that people fear change. An example of this is many of us have been told or told about as the five stages of grief or the change curve. The five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. The first four stages are nothing even close to being enjoyable, and I guess you could say that the last stage of acceptance could be a form of submission to the change. So when organizational leaders are faced 
with change, you look down the change curve and start to go down the path of change, but then get scared and kind of jump back up. They go back down and then, oh, then they go back where it's safe. So if the change occurs, then that might be mean becoming irrelevant, lost, and figuratively could mean that they will die as they pass from life to death. This type of death is scary and inflicts much fear because the organization or system has paved the way for them to come out on top of the organization. As a result, they become a prisoner unto themselves from the fear of change. The system has been extremely good to them, so any change is a threat to the platform of their path to leadership. This will immediately create fear in the organizational leader, which is totally understandable. They will then deny that the change is needed and may become angry that the thought of the need to change and bargaining might take place for those who say they want to become lean because it is potential power and influence, but they may hold back and only travel along their lean journey as picky eaters in an all-you-can-eat buffet where we choose only what we like and leave the rest for someone else to deal with. Or fear that what is required to transform their organization to something influential uh, accounts for too much risk, uncertainty, and unknowns. Again, they become prisoners unto themselves. Being a prisoner is an alternate reality of a type of protection. Don't believe me? How many times have you seen leaders uh, at the top of organizations actively spend time on the shop floor learning about what the problems that are in rampant in the organization. Very few, I would say, spend their time there because when faced with problems, it might reflect bad on them personally, which require change on their part and their organization. I would say very few spend their time there because when faced with problems, it might reflect bad on them personally, which would require them to change on their or their organization's part. Because change can create fear, fear of change causes a desire to be protected, which results in becoming prisoners unto themselves in their office. It may seem that I'm being too harsh, which I probably am. Now, I don't think that leaders of organizations are actively or consciously wanting to become their own prisoners. They are acting this way because on a subconscious level, change is causing them to have fear, and the change would require them or the organization to break the status quo, which again is a form of death of their old selves. No one likes to die physically or psychologically, so from a yin perspective or the dark or negative side of the yin-yang concept, we don't welcome change because it causes us to psychologically die. Since we don't want to psychologically die, then the, we torture ourselves and become prisoners unto ourselves. These feelings of and side effects of change and fear are root cause of why organizations struggle to implement Lean and Six Sigma. 
those improvements are a progressive and invasive way to manage an organization compared to their classical management style of running their organization. The white or positive side of the yin-yang provides balance, so on the other hand, change is welcome or becomes accepted as organizations and people become willing to change when their reasoning and the resulting outcome of the chain outweighs their current state of being. The concept of yin-yang is so perfect in this situation because the yin and the yang interplay on one another so that it increases as one increases the other will decrease. So we are in luck if uh, in other words the yin applies to fear and the yang applies to change. So the more that we feed or remain in fear the less we are willing to change. However the more that we have people leaders and organizations who are willing or to try and take a risk participate in the act of change and continuous improvement will provide the opportunity to gain experience or become altered or changed to become better. Sometimes the dark and the fearful side of us, or the yin, needs to die or pass away so that light and the change side of us, the yang, brings to growth develop and involve us into something extraordinary. We all want change, however, the thought of us having part of us to die is not very comfortable. However, it is the only way for us to gain experience, experiment, and continually become better. So, what do we do to get us out of the peril or predicament of wanting to change? But having the desire to change is attached to fear of change. Well, a tool that I have come to know about and is quite powerful is called motivational interviewing. Like all tools, they can be used for good or for evil purposes. I mean, for example, motivational interviewing could very well be used to deceive or lead someone to do what you want to have happen. Well, on the other hand, motivational interviewing is a powerful tool for two reasons. One, it objectively helps us cut through our thoughts of fear of change on one side and the opportunities of change on the other, again, yin-yang. Number two, the influencer is not the person wanting to inflict change on someone else. The influencer of change becomes the individual who through their own thoughts, work through on a conscious and unconscious level to address their fear. As the individual turns these options around in their minds, they will then realize through intrinsic motivation that the resulting outcome of the change outweighs their current state of being. For example, if someone has chosen the habit of smoking, and you, as the interviewer, wanting, are wanting them to stop smoking, we can pepper this smoker with all kinds of subjective information to try to force them into coming to the light. The first approach that is commonly taken is telling them, smoking kills you. If smoking kills you, you will not live long enough to be with your family, and you'll die, okay? You don't want to die, do you? 
Do you want to have that happen to you, you dirty smoker, you? What do you think the reaction would be? Well, walls would immediately shoot up in between you, and you'll be marked as a threat. And the opportunities for change will be forfeited. However, if you were to use motivational interviewing, two simple questions to ask them might be, what are the good things about that you love about smoking? Interesting enough, this might be a shock to them because no one has probably ever asked them, tell me all the good things about smoking. Well, they might say, well, it calms me down and helps me function in stressful situations and provides me comfort. Oh, one other thing I forgot to mention about what helps motivational interviewing increase in its effectiveness is motivational interviewing is closely linked with showing loads of empathy towards the person being interviewed. Showing empathy helps get the wheels turning in the interviewee's mind so that they don't feel threatened. Now, going back to our story about the desire to help uh, someone stopping smoking, the the follow-up question to the first one we asked of is, what are the good things of smoking? We could also ask, so what are the bad things about smoking? And I say, yes, my kids have been wanting me to stop smoking because it really is bad for my health and I have this fear that I won't be live long enough to see my grandkids. So then you could say to them, wow, that's a big fear that you have. It sounds like your kids love you very much and you find great joy in them especially the opportunity to be able to see your grandkids one day. The next leading question could be something like, what are some things that you have thought about or have always wanted to do to release that fear so that you could live long enough to see your grandkids? Now, the whole idea that is this is to make the motivation to change their idea. The moment that it becomes your idea as an interviewer, the motivation to change will lessen, and again, barriers will will come up. The motivation and desire to change must come from the person being interviewed. Now, this does not work every time and takes a lot of reflection and preparation on your part. However, you will become successful as you continually practice this powerful tool of motivational interviewing. All right, in closing, the fear of change, as we have talked about, is something that the lean and six segment community and we and all of us as change agents struggle with, especially if the leaders of our organization or company might be embracing a classical management leadership style. Just remember that people and organizations will change when the reasoning and the resulting outcome or benefit of the change outweighs their current state of being. Thanks again, my friend, for listening. I will catch back up with you again in the next Continuous Improvement Journey podcast show as we go about more in depth about motivational interviewing.